Today's scripture comes from Matthew 20, 16 to 20. So the last will be first and the first last. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside. And on the way, he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked, she asked him for something. This is the word of the Lord. It's actually a little bit of a different passage today. It's okay, Renee. <laughs> we'll, be, we'll do great today. Um, hope many of you know this passage that we're going to talk about today. Um, it's a very, very famous passage. It's often called the Great Commission. Um, and it was what Jesus said to do right before he ascended to heaven after his resurrection. Now, if you're new to our church, this is uh, early in the year. We're, this is a series that we like to have where we go over our vision and our values and uh, today's value that we're going to cover is our, let's see, which, which one is it? Let's actually, let me um, project, let's get to our vision. So our vision at our church, as Pastor Young said at the beginning, is new life in Christ for the nations of Silicon Valley. And um, we doing okay? Yes, great. And, um, and the, let's go to our next slide. And these are our seven values, gospel. Word and Spirit, Disciples, Family, Nations, Every Member, and City. And last week, we had a message from our next-gen pastor, Joe. He talked on the Valley of Families, uh, Counterculture, Intergenerational Family. The week before that, Pastor Young taught on Making Missional Disciples of All Nations. And uh, today, we're going to talk about value number five, that is Nations. Reaching nations and renewing cultures with the gospel. And you already got a little taste of how we're already, we, we, we lean into that and how we invested in our Vietnamese friends. Um, so we'll talk a little bit more about that in today's message. Okay, so um, part one, ethnocentric Christendom to biblical multi-ethnicity. Okay. Ethnocentric Christendom to Biblical Multi-Ethnicity. Part 2, Shared Loves and the Pathway of Discipleship. How do you actually get to a Biblical Multi-Ethnicity? That's what Part 2 is going to be about, okay? Shared Loves and the Pathway of Discipleship. And Part 3, From Far to Near by the Blood of Christ. It's the blood of Jesus that will bind us together as one multi-ethnic family. Not something clever by us, okay? So from far to near by the blood of Christ. Let's go to part one. Ethnocentric Christendom. All right. Um, let's just start right here. I want to go to this passage. It's a very famous passage. So Jesus has been crucified. He has been risen. He is about to ascend to the right hand of the Father. And this is at the very end of the Gospel of Matthew. It's extremely famous. And, um, you know, so many churches who, who are, are biblical, they take this part seriously. And, but this part, 
that I think a lot of churches don't pay attention to. And this is the part I really want us to focus on today. So let's go to verse 18. Jesus came and said to them, the disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So understand, Jesus is now the risen king. He is the highest authority of everything. And it's a kind of a wild and strange you know, uh, uh, claim, especially at this time. He's a leader of the small Jewish group in this mighty Roman Empire. And here he is saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then this is what the one who has that authority says to do. Go, therefore, and make disciples. So that's the part that a lot of churches, they take seriously. Not enough churches, quite frankly. I think there's a lot of churches, they like to make converts, right? But they're not always serious about making disciples. But here's the part I want that often doesn't get paid attention to today, and that is, go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Um, let me, um, I don't know, what should I do? Let's, let's, let's go to the next slide. I want to just show this to you. I don't usually do this, but I thought it's worth it uh, for today's message. Um, that little part up front, that's, that's what the Greek looks like. And if you can't read it, it's okay because I can, all right? But I just wanted to show this to you. Um, this is a mathetusate. It's a, it's a word that means, so I gave it to you literally word by word right here. That first Greek word is make disciples. That word in the middle, is, in, is the next word is panta, which means all. And then it's ethne, which is all the nations. All the nations. And it'll be a little bit more important as we get later on. I want to show that to you because I'm going to look at a different text later on, and I want you to see how important that is. Make disciples of all the nations. And you know this word ethnic? You've heard this term? Ethnic is like different cultures, uh, different, um, different nationalities, and that's usually what we mean by ethnics, right? Well, it comes from that word, ethne. And that Greek word is ethnos, which means nations. Or sometimes it's translated tribes. Or sometimes it's trans just translated as peoples. But that, I think you all know what that means. You know, like the Chinese, they're one of the ethnos, okay? The Vietnamese are one of the ethnos. And you just you need know, to just name all the different nations and tribes of the world. And here is Jesus saying, make disciples out of all of them. And um, so then we get to this word, you know, ethnic. We get this word ethnic. And we're living in a time right now where, I don't know about you, but there is a desire, there's a desire for our country to be more genuinely multi-ethnic. And by multi-ethnic, it, it doesn't just simply mean, you know, this, this catch word that we hear today, diverse. What it really means is all the different tribes would be unified, okay? Would be unified. So that there isn't just different tribes, but there's a oneness in them. You know, in the, if you look at your money, you know, I don't know if you ever noticed this, that this is a dream that's going on in America. And in America, we have this Latin phrase, e pluribus unum. You guys know, you've ever heard this? 
E pluribus means out of the many. Out of the plural, out of the many, unum, which means one. <laughs> it's actually a deeply American dream. And I just want to start right here. Do you know where that dream comes from? <laughs> that dream comes from the Bible. <laughs> if you are an American and you want that diversity to turn into unity. So we don't, right now our culture is always diversity, diversity, diversity. But are we really a unified people in America? We're really not. <laughs> We're a tremendously disunified people very much according to race and tribe and ethnicity, we're pretty, even though there's a lot of different people that live and then we mix together, um, we don't deeply, we're not really a unified people. And out of the pluribus, out of the pluribus, it is really not an unum. But I just want to start right here. America's very weird. <laughs> then if you go outside of America, do you know how many other countries want, they even want, they even think that we should have an e pluribus unum. Most other countries aren't even trying. <laughs> At least in America, we're trying. In most other countries, you just go there, and they're not that interested in having other cultures and tribes, other ethnos, to be mixed in together. They just want to do their way. It's basically their way or the highway. You can get lost if you don't want to do it our way, right? And that's pretty much normal all throughout the world. Um, you know. Uh, I spent last summer, I spent last summer in Korea on my sabbatical, and you know, in Korea, Koreans basically just do things the Korean way, <laughs> right? And I'm pretty Korean, but not very Korean. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not Korean enough that some other ways, even though that's kind of the the nation and the culture of my of my you know forefathers and of my roots, it was it was sometimes not easy for me, right? And that's just pretty much normal. If I were to go to Mexico, they wouldn't expect me to, they wouldn't say, hey, well, we'll you, know, you know, we want your Korean ways to be here in our country. Maybe they do, but they, do they truly want an unum? And I just want to say this just to start this message. Um, in America, this longing that they'll be multi-ethnic but unified, if you want to know where that idea came from, even though you don't believe in Jesus, you're like, I don't believe in Jesus, I don't believe in God. I want to tell you, you know where the idea comes from? It actually comes from the Bible. Right? It comes from the Bible. And it comes from a very, very important place in the Bible. It comes from the mouth of Jesus himself. <laughs> this is actually his straight-up command. If you're going to be the church, you're going to be my people, this is what I want you to do. Make disciples of all the nations. Okay? And when he said this, it's absolutely bonkers crazy. <laughs> okay? The Jews, all his followers, they're all Jewish. They're ethnically Jewish, okay? Do you know that Jews don't even eat with the Gentiles? You know who the Gentiles are? Everybody else. The Jews don't eat with the Gentiles. It's unclean to eat with the Gentiles. So just talk about something simple as, I'm going to eat with these people. Well, then Jesus said, hey, no, you're going to go make disciples of all these people that all throughout your life, you didn't even think it was clean to eat with them. That's what you're going to do. Now, let's just fast forward here. You go 2,000 years later. Our Christian church is really good at obeying this commission. It's called the Great Commission. Some churches don't even know about this or pay attention to this, uh, which is bad. 
since the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the one with the highest authority over heaven and earth, gave this command. And some churches don't even pay attention. But the ones who start to take it seriously, here's the way they did it. Okay, throughout Christian history for 2,000 years, most places in the world tended to be mono-ethnic. One culture, one dominant culture. So you go to Korea, it's like 98% it's like Korean. And they do things the Korean way. And if you go to Seoul today, it's actually becoming very, very interesting. Because more and more nations are coming to Seoul. So it's becoming actually a lot more multi-ethnic in Seoul than it was 20 years ago. It's actually, it's becoming a very global city now. So you can meet people from all around the world, but they all know that, that they, they don't get to run the show. Okay, you are going to be a second-class citizen, and you're going to do things the Korean way if you live in Seoul, and you're from, if you're from Europe, if you're from Africa, if you're from America, they're from all over. They really are from all over. That's normal. But for 2,000 years, people lived in mono-ethnic culture, monoculture and monoethnic for the most part, there may have been some minority over there, and you know we really weren't too sensitive to them. But Jesus commanded that we have to make disciples of all the nations, and you know how, how, how people did it? And this went right through into the 20th century. The way Christians tried to obey this was, well, the other nations are over there. <laughs> They're far away from us. And what they would do is they would call upon people to go to the other countries and we'll send you money, we'll send you off, and we call them missionaries. And sometimes they would go over there and then, then they, they might get killed or they might just not come back. Or if they came back, they came back very, very infrequently and it was very difficult because, you know, if you're living in the early 20th century, or if you're living in the 1800s and you're going to go to Africa, it's pretty hard to come back to England. If you are living, you're from America, and then you're going to go to Korea, is what happened to, you know, that's how Christianity came to my forefathers, is it's very hard to come back to America if you are making disciples in Korea. That's how they did it. And you know how long this playbook lasted? That's still how we do it. That's still how we do it. And to this day, when most people think about this subject matter of making disciples of other nations, of other ethnics. You know how people think of it? That's something done over there. Special people do this. <laughs> There's these super Christians. We call them missionaries. I would never want to do this myself, of course, right? Because that would be crazy. And they make the sacrifice to go live and become very, you know, they become culturally displaced. They usually have the wrong skin color, at least over there. And they have a very difficult time learning the language. And then they're going to go and actually do this incredible thing to make disciples of other nations. We applaud them. We pray for them. Thank you for doing that. But you know what? That's how a lot of people still think that this is supposed to be done. But I don't think that's what Jesus meant. <laughs> when Jesus gave this command, do you know the other nations? They weren't just over there. They were just right in their own city. <laughs> There were people from all around the Roman Empire, and they were in Jerusalem. <laughs> That's how it worked. So the multi-ethnic, it wasn't just a mono-ethnic and monocultural time. Already, it was a global, a globalization was already happening through the Roman Empire. And so the other ethnics, guess what? They lived right over there. <laughs> and 
when the disciples heard this message, they were like, great, let's go do this. And then you know what they did? They didn't do it. <laughs> they just only spread the gospel to the Jews. That's how they did it. And then Jesus allowed one of their great leaders, his name was Stephen, to be murdered and stoned because the Romans and the Jews hated him. And then you know what happened? Then the Jews spread out into all these other cities and then they went to some other cities where they were in the minority. <laughs> Suddenly, there weren't a lot of Jews in the city. And so instead of just sharing the gospel with only with Jews, you know what they started doing? They started sharing the gospel to all the other ethnics in that city. And that's how God, that's how God made the Great Commission start to work. That's how he did it. Not because the Jew, the, those early Christians were going, okay, those Jewish Christians were like, oh, we're so wise, and we're going to do exactly what Jesus said. <laughs> they actually didn't do it. <laughs> and the way he got them to do it was pretty tough. He took one of their best, and he allowed them to get murdered. <laughs> very, very in a wicked and unjust way. Now, Revive Church, we're living in a very multi-ethnic time. The nations don't live far away. You know your nation, the other nation, is in the next cubicle, <laughs> okay? They're really close. So maybe you're an Indian guy, and the, the guy in the next cubicle is Japanese. You believe in Jesus, he does it, all right? Well, guess what? Jesus is interested in Japan being reached, and you don't have to go to Japan now. <laughs> you just got to go strike up a conversation to the guy in the next cubicle, <laughs> And you, I bet you, you will find out things like this. That maybe his marriage is in trouble. Maybe he has bitterness against his brother. And maybe he's ashamed of certain sins in his life. And he needs Jesus. Okay? He needs Jesus. In our church, we're not interested in the 20th century ethnocentric way. All the other ways, everybody goes, okay, over the Korean church over here. White American church over here. <laughs> Actually, white American church wasn't white American church. It used to be Italians over here, Germans over here, <laughs> okay, <laughs> and the English over here. So they were very tribal. They were ethnocentric, even though they were all, quote, unquote, white. Then they started marrying each other, and then it became the white American church. But then they weren't marrying those folks who were black. So then the black folks still went over here, and... You know, now it's called the, the multi-ethnic English, Irish, Scottish, German, Swedish, etc. They're all over here, right? So, you know, there's still this idea that, you know, like our crowd will be over here and we'll do church over here. And then, but those people will be over there. Look, we're practical. If somebody is from an ethnicity and they speak, they don't speak English, you know, it's going to be pretty tough for them to come into our church, right? But you know, how many people from other nations speak English in our city? Like almost all of them, don't they? Can't they worship in our church? Can't they be discipled in our church? In our church, our church, when we talk about new life in Christ for the nations of Silicon Valley, we take that very, very seriously. And we call on you to follow after Jesus and to love the nation that's in the next cubicle. <laughs> that's your next door neighbor. 
Why don't you think about that the next time you go to a Chinese restaurant <laughs> or to a Med or go eat at Mediterranean food? And you start thinking about this, going like, I really love this food. <laughs> and who's running this restaurant? Maybe they, they don't know Jesus. And maybe we could pray for them. And maybe I'll pick up a friendship. And then maybe a, a few weeks later, strangely, they might come to praise night. <laughs> And then get baptized in a few weeks later, like happened to one of our friends <laughs> in this church, okay? That could happen. It will happen. If you believe it. The Spirit is with you, okay? Let's go to part two. Um, everybody's interested in this question. How? Pastor, oh man, I'm nervous around other people. It's like, I like their food. But honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of uncomfortable around those kind of people. Everybody is not comfortable with every other tribe, okay? You know why this is hard? Why this is hard? Why even the very first disciples, the guy that Jesus trained for three years, they didn't, they didn't obey this <laughs> because everybody's racist. <laughs> so in our culture... I always find it's completely insane how there's a, the, the people who run our culture is constantly going around saying, I'm not racist, but you are. And if you're racist, you're bad, and then you should get fired. <laughs> I just go like, are you absolutely bonkers dumb? <laughs> Everybody doesn't like somebody for their culture. Everybody, okay? Everybody. <laughs> and if you say you don't, you're a liar, or you're just totally ignorant. You just haven't met the people you haven't liked yet, okay? You start hanging out with them, and you're like, mm, I don't like this. This food, no thanks. The way they talk, dude, it's seriously rude, okay? And if my son wanted to date one of them, that ain't happening. And you know what? You don't say that out loud, because if you said that out loud in America, some people would go, boom, they stick their R word on you, and next thing you know, your job is in trouble, okay? But everybody has some tribe or some ethnicity or some culture you don't like. And here's this thing I want to talk about, this question of shared loves. Shared loves, okay? Um, one of the great, great theologians of all time is Augustine. And Augustine said that every nation is bound together because they all love the same thing. <laughs> but here's something else he said. We love the same thing, and whatever we love, that's what makes us cool. That's what makes us special and wonderful. And if you don't love it, well, we don't need you. And if you love something we dislike, then guess what? We don't like you. When people form their culture, cultures are all built on shared love. Okay? I grew up Korean. So the, 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 the most famous Korean food in the world is kimchi. Of course, you all know that, right? When I was growing up, let me tell you something. Nobody ate kimchi except for Koreans. If you pulled it out, the people would go, what is that smell? <laughs> What is that smell? And then, so there's all these other people that would run away if the kimchi came out. So if you invited your, your white friend over, or, 
you know, or maybe even your Chinese friend over, and they're Asian, and Asians are supposed to like your Asian food, right? Well, not all Chinese people like her, uh, kimchi, okay? So if you invite your wife or your Chinese friend over for dinner, you, you, you keep that back. Now, that stays in the, in the fridge, okay? And, um, you know, so if people hated kimchi, man, so this, is, this isn't the deepest, most racist thing in the world, but, you know, if, if, if somebody, if I dated some gal and she didn't like kimchi, I don't think my mom would like her. <laughs> I don't think my mom would like her. She's going like, how are you going to be in our family? Because when you come over for Thanksgiving, we're pulling out the kimchi. So if you're going to run away, that's going to be a problem. <laughs> okay? Now, that's not my mom being racist, but it's practical, right? But just start doing that deeper and deeper and deeper. People without Christ, we love this. You don't like it? Well, guess what? We don't like you. <laughs> you want to know what makes multi-ethnic, where unity across cultures is hard? It's right here. Our righteousness is simply not good enough. That's really what it boils down to. So here's the first thing I just want to say. If you think you're not racist, okay, it's like, get over it. Somewhere in you, you're going to meet some culture, and they're not, you're not going to like them. Or it's hard. You're like, okay, 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 I dislike them, but I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not supposed to dislike them, but I do. <laughs> you know what? Because they're shared, you don't have a shared love with them, and the things that they like or the things you like, they don't like. And that's what makes it hard. So, but I want to talk about, I want to talk about how are we going to do this. So this is really great. There's shared love. And then there is a pathway that Jesus gives. And I want to offer it to you in kind of two ways. There's a practical way, but then there's the Holy Spirit's way. Let's talk about just the very, very human, practical way. You know, you have all kinds of friends. They don't have the same culture as you. But you know there's a great pathway for you to become unified to them and friends with them? They love what you love. So let's say you meet somebody. So I'm just giving you a wisdom tip here at the beginning because this is very, very human. And it's from God. I think it's from God. It's a gift from God. And now we can apply it to how we operate inside the gospel. But so, let's say you meet somebody. They're just a very strange culture to you. They're the ethnicity. You never met anybody like this. Right? So take them to something that you love and see if they love it too. And if, you love it, if they love it too, now the friendship is on. <laughs> so I'll just give you, let me just give you like two examples. In, I live in Cupertino. The most popular pizza place in Cupertino is Cicero's Pizza, okay? So if you've never been to Cicero's Pizza, you're missing out, okay? It's one of the best pizza places in all of the South Bay. Let me tell you something. Everybody in Cupertino goes to Cicero's Pizza. If you go there on a Friday night, every ethnicity is there. All of them are there. The Indian, you just look at Indians, and they're all there. <laughs> the old, the young, <laughs> they're all there. They're all there. Why? Because the pizza is that good. Shared love. Right. 
There's a lot of people in this city that love the 49ers. If you go to a sports bar and watch the Niners game, it's e pluribus unum. <laughs> That's what it is. Out of the diversity into unity under the love of the 49ers. Under the love of the 49ers. And this is the very human way. Now I'll tell you a story and I'll tell you how we're going to do it here in Revive. And I'm going to tell you the Holy Spirit way. There's a pastor who's one of my heroes, and I've learned many great, incredible things from him. And you hear me quote him and cite him. His name is Timothy Keller. And he's retired now. He's retired from pastoral ministry, and he planted a church in 1989 called Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City. And I don't know if you know this. You know, he's white. He's, he's a boomer-age white guy. And he goes to New York, starts this church. And you know what happened? A bunch of Asians started showing up at this church. A lot of them were Koreans. And he was really surprised. He did not expect that to happen. And he was so surprised, he turned to one of you know, his good Korean friends, who's a pastor friend of mine, and I know of this because he told me the story, and tried to recruit him onto the staff. He said, man, all these Koreans are showing up in my church. Want to join my pastoral staff? And he ended up saying no. And that was like going on like right from the early on. This is 1989. And he is speaking at a conference one day, and somebody asked this very interesting question. I used to listen to all this content from Tim Keller. If it was Tim Keller, I'd go listen to it and learn from him. And so it's a conference message. It's in a Q&A. And somebody asked him this question. Your church is becoming multi-ethnic. How is that? How is that happening? And Keller's answer was very interesting. I still remember it like it was yesterday. He said, I don't know. <laughs> I thought that was really humble, a great answer. Uh, I don't know. We got, I, I got, I, I really, it just happened. <laughs> he goes, if I were to give you a guess, this is my guess. He says, I come up here and speak. We sang some songs before I came up and speak. And the pianist over there was this Asian woman. So up front is a white guy and an Asian woman. And so it kind of signals sociologically that we're united. And so Asians think, hey, I can come to this church. Asian people up front. And I thought, hmm, OK, that makes sense. But you know what? This is one of the few times I didn't like the answer from Tim Keller. I thought that was a really lame answer. <laughs> you know? Most people, this is how they think multi-ethnicity is going to happen. If you just get enough different faces up front, then you'll get more different faces in the pews. Isn't that how you all think it's going to happen? Okay. If the, if the stage looks like an, a bag of M&Ms, <laughs> then the seats will look like a bag of M&Ms. So the, sta the, 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 the stage, we got to make sure, you know, we got your white guy and your brown guy and your yellow guy, et cetera, right? <laughs> right, just to be really crude about it. Just talk in the very, our, 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 we're super color and race fixated culture. And I, I remember, I don't know if you, some of you remember this, we raised up three elders, and I actually said this from the pulpit. I said, Jesus, you know, 
it'd be really great if one of our elders wasn't a Korean guy. <laughs> It'd have been awesome if one of our elders wasn't a Korean guy. How come you couldn't send us like, you know, like a white brother or, you know, like a, even a Chinese guy, even though he might look similar and people can't even, like some of you were like, I can't even tell that guy's Chinese, you know, if you look at his face, okay? But um, you know what? I was thinking in the Tim Keller in a very human, fleshly, sociological way. I think I want to give you the answer of the way that we believe it's going to happen and revive. Okay? Here's the passage. Let's go back to the same passage. It's actually right here in the passage. Verse 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, the words of Jesus. Go therefore and what? Make disciples of all nations. Baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So let's backtrack. Augustine noted that all cultures share, have shared love. That's how you build a shared culture. And then he also noticed that when it's without Christ, all those cultures end up racist and hating each other. Without Jesus, let me just say it to you this way. You know the UN, the UN, the United Nations? That's never going to happen, okay? United Nations is not under Jesus, okay? The United Nations is never going to unite the nations, okay? <laughs> let me tell you, that's never, ever going to happen. The, the way about, like, the better hope of uniting the nations is, like, let's just have capitalism together or something like that. And that's kind of a junky, bad way to unite, Okay? But that's about as good as it's going to get, apart from Jesus. Augustine knew that. And you can kind of get a little bit of multi-ethnicity of unity by, like, eating the same pizza or, or rooting for the same sports team. Okay? Sorry, sorry, Niners fans. It didn't happen for you last week. Okay? But we'll root for somebody next week, and we'll be united under Jesus, not under football. So here is the Holy Spirit way. Here is Jesus' way. You get people who are disciples who will follow Jesus, who will say, we'll love him the most. And we'll love him the most, and so thus we will learn how to follow all that he has commanded us, including learning how to repent of our fears of other cultures, of our judgment of other cultures, of learning to just accept that I'm not going to be perfectly good at loving these people that are very strange to me, but Jesus is with me. And if I can go into their world or invite them into my world, then maybe we'll, we'll sit together and we'll be disciples together and then we'll have the same love who is Jesus and then we'll finally get the unity. Now, let's just say this thing before I close. Um, in our church, you wonder why, oh, you know, this church is so serious. They do discipleship. You know, we do discipleship in our church. It's called Life on Life Missional Discipleship. Maybe not all of you are in it, but hopefully at some point or another, if you haven't done it, you will do it. You'll commit to it. And um, you know what's happening in those discipleship groups? The nations are being reached. This is how we're doing it, how we're going to do it. 
So I'll just tell you this before I close this uh, before I go into the third part of this message. In my discipleship group, um, we have uh, multiple nations. <laughs> they're not in the next cubicle. They're in my living room. So, you know, I invited Manny Hernandez into my discipleship group, and he's Mexican American. His wife is Chinese American. So, I, in my mind, when he's there, she's there. <laughs> so I get through him. I get both nations in my living room. And you know what? When we both love Jesus above all things, my Koreanness or Americanness or West Coastness and the Chinese ways that he's being influenced by his wife and the Mexican ways that he's pouring into our, it's all in the living room. And it's all under Jesus. And we're going to love Jesus more than Cicero's pizza. <laughs> And he'll pull it all together. Let's go to part three. I want to give you an incredible place in the Bible, a tremendously important place in the Bible, where this is how it plays out. So many people just, just they ignore this place in the Bible. But I hope in our church, you all memorize Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. And you'll make me very, very happy if you start to memorize this passage too, okay? So here we go. From far to near by the blood of Christ, part three. And here's the verse I want us to close with. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 to 14. Verse 11. Remember that at one time, you Gentiles, in the flesh, you Gentiles, you know what the Greek is there? the nations. <laughs> Therefore, remember at one time, the nations, you the nations, you all the different ethnics, ta ethna, right there, in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. I won't talk about that too much. I'll get into that. Verse 12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. I just want to stop for a moment before I go to the next verse. Brothers and sisters, there's so many people in our city, this is exactly what, what their life is like. In America, we're worried about being alienated from certain um, you know, privileges and powers. You know, if you're a certain skin color, there's a great fight in our culture that they get alienated, you know, they're left out. So that's, so it's a very, very relevant subject. Here it is. But you know what's most important? That people are outside of the promises of grace given to them by God, to Jesus. When you meet people in our city, and they're often of the nations from somewhere else, you know what, they're on the outside and they don't know. Actually, it's just getting really interesting. More and more white Americans who are supposed to have a history of Christianity, they don't know. <laughs> so that includes white Americans who are post-Christian, but they're on the outside. Verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near 
by the blood of Christ. Once we're far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility. See? Paul knows everybody has some kind of dividing wall of hostility to some other people group out there. <laughs> and here's where I really want you to think about this. He himself is our peace. You meet somebody. They're the, I don't know, they're a strange ethnicity, okay? And something about them you don't like. And you know what? There's a lack of peace. You don't like them. And guess what? When you don't like them, they probably won't like you back. So if you have no wall of hostility to them, if you have something about them that you don't like, that wall is there. But who is the one who breaks that down? Who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility? It is Jesus Christ. I'm going to close with this story. So I'm going to share with you a little bit of my racism that I'm learning to drop. Not because I'm such a, I'm a good righteous American. I'm not racist. I can just get rid of that myself. No, you actually need a profound power. That power comes from the blood of Jesus Christ. And the blood of Jesus Christ washes away your self-righteousness, which looks down on other people. And our culture, that, that we pride ourselves on us, and we put up a wall of hostility to other people, and we all do this. If the world will ever get to a place of deep peace, and if America is ever going to be a, a better, more unified country, it's going to come through Jesus. Here's my story. A few years ago, my daughter was in the sixth grade, and she used to ride her bike to school. This is Elizabeth. Maybe you know her. And when she was riding her bike home one day, the cars kind of lined up and got there's some traffic because so many people go to that school, drop off their kids, etc. So it kind of happens this way. When I was a kid, people didn't do that. They just, they just made their kids walk to school. Okay? People didn't drop off their kids, but this is what's the way it is today. And so Elizabeth is riding her bike down this street, and there's a layer of cars, and then there was a, then there was a you know, crosswalk, and um, she was, she was going to cross, and this woman, because she was in a hurry, swung around like this and hit my daughter with the car and almost killed her. And we got this uh, very frightening phone call saying, your daughter's been hit by a car. And so my wife and I got away. It was pretty, pretty close to our house. We went, and um, we found out that it was this Indian woman. And um, that was pretty painful. That was really painful. And I could not help but think, man, these Indian folks who come to our city, they don't have good traffic laws where they live, and they come where we live, and she's going to disobey our traffic laws. You're not supposed to do that. Because if you do that, some kid could get killed. And in this case, it was almost my kid. So the next few months, I'm going, okay, no, stop thinking that. Stop thinking that. Stop thinking that. 
But I was mad. And every time I thought about it, I couldn't stop thinking that. That summer, many of you guys know my friend J.P. Samuel. Right? He's an Indian pastor from South India. He asked me to guest preach at his church. I said yes. I never really hung out with Indians, you know, where I was like, they're all doing their Indian thing, and I'm, I'm the only one who's not an Indian. I have one or two Indian friends, but I've never been immersed within Indian Christian circles. I, I've never experienced that before until he invited me to be the speaker. So we went to the retreat, and here's what happened at the retreat. You know, I, I preached, you know, JP's crazy. He told me to preach some crazy hard theology, and I did it, okay? But what was incredible was, I stopped looking at the people in the room as Indians. I saw them as my family. I realized the blood of Christ washed over my racism. And the blood of Christ conquered my anger. And all the Indian folks in the room, I started to just love them with all my heart. That's how it happened. This is how it happens. Not because we're good enough. Because Jesus shed his blood to wash away our self-righteousness and our racism. And if we will be his disciples and walk with him together and say, let's make Jesus the number one, then we will have deep oneness and love for one another. And all the racism and our discomforts will wash away because he'll be all in all. Okay? Let's pray. Lord, we're going to go to your table, and we're going to ask that your body, your righteousness, the fullness of your humanity would come into us. And thus your will, your heart, and your love for us and you will cause us to love you back. And then we're going to drink of your blood shed for us. And today I want to ask our church to come to this table and for us to drop our American diversity, all that other self-righteousness, and our boasts that we think we, we're better than this because we're not. I thought I wasn't racist until somebody hurt my daughter. <laughs> and then I couldn't stop being racist from my heart. I wouldn't say it out loud, of course. But thank you that I was healed by the blood of Jesus. And today we're going to go to the blood of Jesus. Only the blood of Jesus takes people who are very far away Sometimes we even want them far away. I don't like those people. Keep them far. But by the blood of Jesus, you bring them, and you bring them near, ever so near. And we want them so near and dear to our hearts. And we want them to be near in our church. We want them to be our brothers and sisters. We want to laugh and, and cry and become one family, one heart, one mind with them. Because our church believes that by the power of the gospel, we truly can make disciples of all nations, 
we can be disciples of all nations, one family under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We pray that that would happen, and we pray that the power of your blood will be poured on us as we come to your table now in Jesus' name.